Kena. We are getting over an I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Not only that, this is our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, where we will break down all of the biggest storylines entering WWE's next pay-per-view of the year, as well as everything else that happened over the last few days on the season premieres of SmackDown and Raw. Now, that's not to say that the Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview is going to be ultimate in terms of size. It'll just be ultimate in terms of depth, because right now, as we tape the show, there is only four matches announced for this pay-per-view. We certainly expect those numbers to go up uh, as we get closer, probably announce a couple matches on Friday and maybe Saturday. But right now, there is not that much to talk about. What there is a lot to talk about are the new rosters on SmackDown and Raw, the season premieres of those shows, which also serve as go-home shows for the pay-per-view. And I have no doubt uh, we will be breaking those down momentarily. In fact, I will say, Chris, that this was a learning weekend for the Silver King, right? I learned that Georgia is a fraudulent college football team. I learned that the Dallas Cowboys are horrendous and Mike McCarthy is probably, he would be the worst coach possibly in the NFL if it wasn't for Adam Gase and the uh, New York Jets. I also learned Timofeo Lopez is the real deal uh, at just 23 years old. And I learned that it doesn't matter which superstars you put on Raw, that show, whoever is leading the booking charge, and I cannot believe it is the same person Bruce Pritchard, who is leading the SmackDown booking charge, this show may be helpless at this point. I don't know that Raw can be saved. Uh, That is something that's a major topic we're going to get into later in today's show. Is there anything that you learned over this nice long weekend? You know, I I learned that I am ready for the Big Ten to come back and the Mountain West to come back in college football because when college football ended on Saturday night and we didn't have games to go deep into the night or we didn't have. uh, I mean, I loved it. It was a pretty thin lineup. I know, but I'm ready now for more college football. I'm ready now for Hell in a Cell. Uh, But just like college football needed more depth over the weekend, Hell in a Cell needs more depth as a show uh, because there's not a ton going on right now. There's not. And especially on Raw, where it's just, like I said, it's a mess. And, and we will talk about it as the second part of our main event. But we are going to get started um, with the show right now. And the way we do that, you guys know, we, we have to take care of a little business right off top, kind of like the million dollar man. Some money needs to be passed around. And in fact, it needs to be you doing that to us. The first thing you need to do is head on over to Twitter, open up your Twitter account, just hit the app on your phone. And give us a follow at Getting Overcast. You can also follow us individually at Silverstein Adam for myself, at Chris Vanini for Vintage Chris Vanini. But most importantly, follow this show at Getting Overcast. And then when you're done with that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and do me a little bit of a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for the Silver King for this podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show because it is all about the five. And once you're done with those two things, go reach out to a wrestling friend, family member, your doctor, lawyer, anyone. Let them know the show that you listen to every single week because we need to grow and word of mouth is absolutely the best way to do it. But with that said, it's time to get into the show 
And when we get into the show, we get into the main event. Now, Chris, because we are saving a lot of major topics for the end of the show, for the WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. And by the way, folks, I say it almost every episode. There are timestamps here. So if you want to skip to the Ultimate Preview, if you're possibly listening to this Saturday or Sunday right before the show begins, there's a timestamp in the description you can skip to just where we talk about the matches already booked for the show. But there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, including the season premieres of SmackDown and Raw. And for this two-part main event, Chris, we're going to kind of divide it up into two parts, of course, because it's a two-part main event. That's how that works. (laughs) But the first part is a big part. It is the first ever on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, big, meaty men slapping meat main event. Big, meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) Because we got that in the main event of SmackDown and Raw this week. Braun Strowman, by the way, credit to him, at least involved in both main events in a single week, main event matches. Pretty crazy. We will start on the SmackDown side where Roman Reigns defended the Universal Championship against Strowman. And I wish there was some detailed analysis to give here. I really do. But it was a typical Roman Reigns, uh, Braun Strowman match. It's something that we have seen numerous times before. And the best way is probably for Samoa Joe to explain it. It was. The beef flew. It flew in the ring. It flew outside of the ring. But ultimately, nothing really happened because we never expected Roman Reigns to lose the title. Reigns did do his kick out low blow again, where he runs the arm basically up the crotch while he kicks out of a pinning combination or or a pinfall attempt, I should say, which remains a smart move. I I just feel like it might start getting used too often. Uh, Strowman did kick out of a spear and he dodged a second one. So Reigns then locked him in a guillotine and took him down until he passed out. That was a pretty solid finish and different a little bit from the usual stuff with these two. To see Roman Reigns tap out Braun Strowman was effective in continuing to build Roman Reigns. But we kind of knew how this was going to end. I didn't necessarily expect, you know, Strowman to win, certainly. But anything of a shocking nature, I guess Roman Reigns winning a match via submission was as surprising as we would get coming out of this. Yeah, I I think it accomplished what it it needed to. And that was to make Roman look strong, you know, like like that that old phrase and to do it in a different way, you know, to to win via submission to some. I mean, to submit Braun Strowman is a pretty big statement, uh, no matter what you think of Braun Strowman. Um, and, And obviously Strowman's not involved in anything major at the moment. So I think it's perfectly fine feeding him to Roman for a SmackDown one-off when you know he's going to Raw. So, you know, the idea of it being the season premiere, I know I, I roll my eyes plenty of times when, when when we hear that stuff. They kept doing it on Raw and whatnot. Uh, but the idea is to make it feel like uh, a special episode, to, to make it feel a little bit different, to kind of tell you, hey, this is going to be a little bit different. And, th- and they give you a championship match. It was a good match. It accomplished what it needed to do. So I, I was fine with it. I, I I agree with you on the kick out to the crotch thing. And, I, you know, talking about big men slapping meat, especially as it relates to Braun Strowman. We'll His meat got slapped. It, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to 
at, at some point, like instead of continuing to do that, I, I want a referee to notice it. I want Jay Uso to bring it up or something like that. And maybe Roman gets disqualified and, and, and Jay says, no, we're not going to end it like that or something like that. Cause I, I don't want it to happen over and over and over, but you can turn that into the story part of the story as well. So, um, yeah, again, Roman, again, wrestling shirtless looks great. Uh, continue to love absolutely everything he's doing. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a perfectly serviceable, good match with a finish that, uh, added to what it's building to. From a look standpoint, I kind of felt, and I don't know if it was just me, but I felt that Reigns reverted a little bit to the way he used to look, like from a hair and beard standpoint, it got trimmed down and it wasn't the guy that I was used to seeing over the last few weeks. So maybe that was just me, but it did kind of look like his hair was really wet again and the beard was like cut in half. And I don't know, it, it seemed like a not the same version. Like if, if it was a video game and you were selecting different versions of Roman Reigns, it seemed like we chose Roman Reigns shield minus the vest. Uh, as opposed to the newer version of Reigns that we've been getting. But I could be wrong. I'd have to probably go back to that Jey Uso match and see if maybe that's just how he looks uh, when he wrestles. But the beard was noticeably smaller for me. Not a big deal. It's it, That's very superficial, of course. I, I think you make a really good point. I mean, I don't think they're going to call attention to the kickout low blow in Hell in a Cell because it won't matter, obviously. But but in a future match when he's fighting a face, like if he ever fights Daniel Bryan and he does that to Daniel Bryan. Yeah, you know what? That is a good thing for the referee to notice. Call a DQ on the match and then the the person who's aff- affected the face kind of come back and say, no, 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 I, I still want to keep going or it leads to a rematch immediately. That is something that they can do, but I just don't want them to overuse it. Yeah. Because right now he's been in two title matches and he's used it both times. And it's like, I get he's a heel. You've already sold me on him as a heel. He doesn't need to low blow. Every- he's, he's Roman Reigns. Okay, he's not um, Shinsuke Nakamura as a heel, who, by the way, I thought that was ridiculous for Shinsuke and AJ in that. (laughs) But but at least AJ is not, I mean, at least Shinsuke and AJ are not big towering guys who are doing this to, and now granted, Strowman's not a small guy, but Reigns did it to Jey Uso. He doesn't need, he should not in kayfabe need to low blow Jey Uso in order to beat him, right? Braun Strowman, I'm okay with it. So I almost kind of wish, even though it was cool in the Jey Uso match, I almost kind of wish they saved it here because that was a great excuse for him to beat Braun Strowman. Anyway, enough past that. Uh, They did make a big deal about Goldberg watching the match while in the Thunderdome. And they had superstars, Ric Flair, Big E, Mark Henry, and other people, Booker T, I think, watching from the Thunderdome screens over the course of both season premieres, which I guess was supposed to be cool for fans, but you can barely see these people. So it felt like a waste of time to me. Um, But I can't stress how little I want them to go in that direction at any point, not at Survivor Series or Royal Rumble, or if they figure out a way to go back to Saudi Arabia, definitely not at WrestleMania. Please keep Goldberg out of the ring, and especially, even if you have to bring him back to the ring, keep him away from Roman Reigns. Yeah, I... I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I saw his name pop up in a in a rumors headline. I don't read the dirt sheets or whatever, so I don't know what any sort of rumors are out there. But yes, please, no, 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 no. I know, you know, the Goldberg Roman thing was 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 that background WrestleMania that was the plan, and just no, like we got past it. We don't want it. Just don't, just don't do this. Don't. That's all I can say. Yeah. All I can say don't. is don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Okay, so let's skip over to Raw. And look, they booked 
Braun Strowman again in the main event against Keith Lee. Now they had Braun go out on his back on SmackDown. So I was thinking to myself, coming out of SmackDown, there is no way they can have Braun lose consecutively to Roman Reigns and Keith Lee after he already basically lost the Fiend feud and got relegated to Raw Underground for a couple of weeks. So, because otherwise they're just absolutely burying this guy who they gave the Universal Championship to. But what I did say to myself is, I don't necessarily care how the winner of this match is booked, like meaning I don't I don't care who actually wins. I just don't want no bread. I don't want no water. All I want is meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. Be- because when you're getting Braun Strowman and Keith Lee, that is big meaty men slapping meat. That is even more so than Roman Reigns. The definition of what that phrase is about. And despite this match being the main event, they hardly advertised it during the show. I think in the opening 30 minutes, they mentioned it once. There's a chance they mentioned it again later, a second time. But that was it. And I don't even know if they mentioned it a second time. So you'd have, if you're someone who didn't watch the very beginning, maybe you're watching the end of the the Chiefs game, Chiefs-Bills game, and you're coming into Raw at 8.15, whatever the case, you may not know that that is the main event for the show. Strowman gets in this match with Lee and they are hitting clubbing blows. And it is the opposite of what we got last week where these guys kind of tore apart the Thunderdome and got me really excited. They did the spot off the the stage, which was hot. And and you're like, oh my God, these guys are actually going to rumble like a Godzilla King Kong type of deal. Like that's what they're going to do. And this is awesome. That was, this was the complete opposite. They tried to do like a wrestling match, but with only strength. And Strowman, the way he ends up winning this match, which was short, by the way, it was like, I don't know, eight minutes, maybe Strowman used the back of his head to low blow Keith Lee right in front of the referee. The referee was staring at them. He doesn't call a DQ. Then Strowman just kicks Lee in the face and pins him one, two, three effortlessly. The Lee kind of kicked out right around three. What a piece of shit booking this was. After the match, Keith Lee gets angry, full on, full on, kicks Braun Strowman in the balls, then grabs his beard and screams out at him something about, I'm a dragon, you're a monster. I don't get the point of any of this. You beat Keith Lee for no reason whatsoever. You didn't give Braun Strowman his heat back from losing to Roman Reigns. This feud didn't need to happen right at the start of the new season of Raw. It feels like they're forcing it together. And man, I have been pretty like hands off. I'll wait and see before I'm really concerned about Keith Lee. But I'm really concerned about Keith Lee. Uh, I'm I'm starting to get there. Was this the first time he was pinned on the main roster? Yes, he's eaten finishers before. One was in a triple threat match. He got rolled out. One may have been in a tag team match. And was that the one where Drew McIntyre got pinned? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, might have been. But but so, I don't. Yeah. But I don't think he has lost uh, one, two, three shoulders to the mat on the main roster. Yeah, and and you know, if you want to say that move by Strowman is just like the Roman Reigns kickout move, okay. Honestly, I in kayfabe, I thought it was actually kind of smart. But it they, was. They kind it of was. they kind of made it like a little too, I don't know, obvious. Uh, 
in, in turn and like made that the finish. But yeah, like we liked what they did last week and it was just two big guys wrecking, just wrecking the place. And that's what we want. We don't want low blows and whatever. Like, like think of what this needs to be is the Roman brawn feud of a few years ago where they're just flipping ambulances and doing all this crazy stuff. Like, like that's what these guys should be doing. I'm not saying this is the best thing Keith Lee should be doing. I definitely think there are more productive things he could be doing, but if you're going to do this Keith Lee Stroman deal, uh, you gotta, you gotta do, you gotta make it tipping over stuff and, and wrecking stuff, especially when you're in an arena where there's no people there. Like, I don't know what this was. Not a fan. 0.0 did not help anybody. It's it's just it's so frustrating to me that the only way a big guy in WWE can get beat, they're basically telling us, is via low blow. Like Brock Lesnar, yep. you need to low blow him in order to eliminate him from um the Royal Rumble. Uh Seth Rollins, I think, low blowed him. The Undertaker low blowed him. Now you're getting into it with Braun Strowman. And I mean, shit, like Big Show lost many times in his career without being low blowed just because people were better than him. And Keith Lee should not need the excuse of low blowing Braun Strowman in order to beat him. But you know that's what's going to happen whenever they have their blow off final match, like whether it's on Raw, whether it's maybe at Hell in a Cell, maybe at the next pay-per-view, whatever the case, whenever we get the final Braun Strowman-Keith Lee match, And I do believe, and maybe I'm silly for believing this, I do believe they'll put Keith Lee over. I do believe ultimately the point is for Keith Lee to get a win here. Me too. But whenever that happens, how is he going to do it? He's going to do it by low-blowing Braun Strowman and then hitting the spirit bomb or another finisher. Yeah. And it's just let let these people wrestle. I'm okay with low blows when you use them occasionally. But dude, look what we're talking about. The the main event of of Night of Champions, the main event of SmackDown, the main event of Raw. Like, that, that's that's three huge matches that they've recently had that all ended, or not ended via low blow, but low blow was at least a large part of the finish. And, and whenever low blow often the becomes the story. AJ and Nakamura. They AJ and Nakamura. Low blow is the entire story. Yeah, yeah. Brock, Brock and Undertaker, every match. Like, mm-hmm. these are, that's my concern, is, is like, all right, Steer away from this now. If, if this is what the plan is, if WWE's listening to the podcast, like st- steer away from this because uh, this direction that it seems to be going in is not where it should be going. And we know these guys can move. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, Braun do a kip up against Big Show. And like, you know, we've seen he's athletic. We know Keith Lee's athletic. The Dominic Dijakovic matches like either have these guys just bowl through everything or have them do some incredibly athletic stuff because these are these are two very physically talented dudes who deserve a heck of a lot more than low blows. They do. And I missed your cue earlier, so I'll do it just, uh, you know, to make sure we we cover all our bases here. Zero point zero. You can't have a season premiere of a show and a guy you've just recently introduced and have him lose like that. And by the way, that's not the first time that happened, nor the last time uh, on in WWE and on Monday night as well. I also have a DM slide here. 
from Billy H at B Habibi 44. Is it just me or does Keith Lee come off as a total dork now on Raw? He had to shave his beard, lost his cool gear, and worst of all, that awful generic entrance music. He doesn't feel special at all, and I can't blame WWE for putting Strowman over him tonight. Uh, So there's some of that I agree with and some I don't. So let me take part by part here. Does he come off as a total dork now? No. Keith Lee has always been a dork and he's a (laughs) self-professed dork. Like he will tell you that he is. He's into like anime and video games and all that type of stuff. And guys, I interviewed him on this podcast and he got into like, like, that type of stuff. I don't even know what anime, like anime, I don't know how to explain it because I've never ever watched or been into it. But he got into like some of that stuff with Karrion Cross and the the fireball when he opened up the contract. Mm-hmm. And he talks about dragons all the time. If you follow him on Twitter, you know this guy is a dork. So from a promo standpoint, from a character standpoint, he's not going to be necessarily a quote unquote total badass dominant wrestler like fans want everyone to be. That's his character and that's okay. He's He's different and he's good in his own way. So there's no problem, but he is a dork. Shaving his beard, he shaved his beard in NXT before. It grows back in a couple of weeks. At some point when he wants a beard again or when WWE's cool with it, he'll have it. Lost his cool gear a little bit. I mean, I think it is a little stupid that we've talked about the compression shirts. He's back to the shorts. All he did was wear shorts previously. Did those shorts say limitless and have him flexing on them? Yes. Are those better than what he's currently wearing? Yes. The gear's not an issue. The music is an issue. It's it's certainly an issue because the way he is presented when he comes down to the ring is important, especially if you're not a long, if you're a casual fan and just learning about Keith Lee and you hear that really cool intro, bask in his glory, and then just some generic rock music. Yeah. Like, yeah. It does should, make an impact on how you think about the guy. The, just that part. They should get rid of that opening if you're like, it doesn't work because it just reminds you of the awesome music it reminds you to have. Right. It doesn't work. So it's dumb. I don't think he's, I don't, I don't think his character looks like a dork. If the idea is, you know, hey, he 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 came up and he had to do all this stuff and he changed and he's not getting anything. Kind of like a, a meta look at it. I wouldn't, I, I still wouldn't say that because I think all the people who remember what he was at NXT and have noticed all the changes realize that this is not on him. That this is on people making decisions. And and, and so I, I think there's a bit of. I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but a bit of understanding about a lot of things that are out of his control. But, so I, I don't think he looks like a dork yet out of character and, and in character. I don't think he does either, but they're, they're starting to, you know, his debut was great. They made him look awesome. But this is that part where is, is our things about to turn here? We'll yeah, see. He, he doesn't look like a dork, but he does look like generic big man wrestler because what they've done is even though, you know, I, I was just being critical a moment ago and saying his gear didn't change that much outside of him wearing a shirt. The, the the style of gear, you know, now that they figured it out, they don't have him in the flowing shorts anymore or all that. But what they did do is the shorts he used to wear were, they were shiny. They were shiny light blue and pink and occasionally black or whatever the case. Now he just wears like a muted dark green, like a forest green trunk. And it's like, okay, like it, it has no personality to it, right? Not that you need to have crazy tights in wrestling to have, I mean, Roman Reigns wears black pants, right? But it it works for his character. Um, But there is something to be said for just like wearing colored tights. Like William William Regal, he is not. You know, he's Keith Lee, he's limitless. So put the word limitless on the back of these trunks. And I know, I think it has a a silhouette of him on the side. Okay, but but just a forest green trunk for this guy 
it, it doesn't really kind of show him off. And this guy should be treated special. Keith Lee is a special wrestler. He's very unique and talented. And he feels like someone just went into a system, created a big man wrestler, and that's just the guy that they now have. He feels generic to me. And that's no one's fault but WWE's. Yeah, yeah. I I do think the changing week to week is not helping either. Agreed. And just the inconsistency with his booking, looking really strong against Randy Orton at a pay-per-view and then losing to Braun Strowman in eight minutes on Raw despite a low blow. It's just not going to work. But we have a lot to go here. Let's move on from this topic and go into really the major storyline, I guess you can say, on Raw, which was an intertanglement. I don't even think that's a word. But between The Fiend Bray Wyatt, Retribution, and The Hurt Business, they all intertwined. And the show opened with The Fiend and Alexa Bliss in the ring. And there was no doubt. I was jacked up to see Bliss in the ring, staring straight forward, kind of like a possessed Barbie doll or Bratz doll or something. The Fiend made that really cool entrance and they've really jacked it up uh, like another 10%, which was really cool. And I'm curious to see what happens there. Like, are they going to cut a promo? Are they going to um, summon someone to the ring? Is Bliss going to be the mouthpiece for The Fiend because The Fiend doesn't have one? The only person who talks is Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse. And instead, Retribution's music hits. Now they have music. They come down to the ring and start stalking them. And they're confusing the situation. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Now, The Fiend and Bliss looked pretty badass because they were holding hands and, and staring straight ahead as if they didn't care or pay retribution any mind. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of badass of them. But the lights go out, they disappear, and retribution's left there. So again, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't, I didn't need retribution here. This doesn't make a lot of sense that they would come to, to attack the Fiend. But they at least played all of that off where they didn't have to interact, right? Where the Fiend didn't have to touch them. They didn't go beat up the Fiend. Alexa Bliss didn't get attacked by Mia Yim, etc. Then then after that happens, and I'm finally like catching myself, I'm trying to realize what's happening. The Hurt Business's music hits and they come down to the ring. They have a match, Hurt Business versus Retribution. Now the match was decently entertaining as we finally got to see Retribution work together in an extended sense. But then Retribution loses this match right off the bat with T-Bar not getting pinned, but tapping out to the Hurt Lock. Then after the match, The Fiend shows up again. It was cool that he popped up on the ring apron next to Mustafa Ali, but he basically just wrecked the entire faction. He took out everyone. He hit T-Bar, who just submitted to the Hurt Lock. He hit him with the mandible claw, then slammed him, and I think with Sister Abigail. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if the goal of this opening segment was not to write off retribution, then this is absolutely horrendous booking because they basically buried a brand new faction which had its first opportunity to show dominance against the Hurt Business. Now, there's a lot more that happened on the show with all this. We will pause here and talk about this first and then talk about the rest, Chris. But I'm just sitting there flummoxed. I'm like, okay, Retribution's dead. They decided to write them off. And I was not happy about it because it's only been around a couple months. And with Ali, I was like, oh, they're finally starting to gain a little steam. Maybe Ali will be their spokesman. You know, maybe this actually could work. Maybe they can save this. 
And I'm like, oh, wow, they just wrote it off because Fiend beat the crap out of all of them. But that's not what happened because we saw them later on in the show. So the first couple of segments, what did you think about the Fiend, Retribution, and the Hurt Business? My first thought was uh, when when Retribution started their entrance, I got excited. I was like, oh, this is cool. We're getting new people interacting. The whole point of the draft is to shake up the rosters and have new people interacting with each other. That was especially needed after what had been a pretty stale summer of the same feuds continuing on forever. So I was like, oh, Fiend and Retribution, this is cool. I'm excited that these guys are going to be interacting here. So I really like that. And then, then the Hurt Business comes out, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, I forgot. We're, we're continuing all these feuds that we were already doing. That was a problem with SmackDown. That was a problem with a lot of the feuds that have switched brands is that you've taken both people from the feuds to the other brands or they stayed on the same brand. So we're without, still doing, without ending them on the prior brand, which yeah. they could have done at Clash of Champions. Yeah. So we're still doing her business versus retribution. I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this match now. And and then, oh, OK, <laughs> T-Bar's tapping out. I guess we're done with this. And then, you know, yeah, th- my thought was just like, OK, I guess retribution's done. That seems kind of weird. I don't, don't really know why. Uh, so there was there was a flicker of. Oh, I, I was excited at that opening where it was going. Things are going to feel different on Raw now uh, because we've got new people around. And then just, nope, we're, we're going to do the same thing we're doing. And then we're going to have Fiend continue to dig that hole for retribution. Um, you know, they come back later and we'll get into the promo deal. But yeah, coming out of the opening segment, I was just like, oh, I, I guess retribution is done. I don't really know what the point of any of that was. They're, they're clearly, in my opinion, making Fiend the featured player on Raw. At least that's what I took from this. Because we discussed on the SmackDown and, and Raw uh, draft, the WWE draft, the new rosters, the last episode that we did, that SmackDown really seems to be main event heavy, where Raw has a lot of upper mid-carders, right? And it does seem to me like, you know, I, I've been thinking, and we'll talk about it when we go later, Hey, you know, is Randy Orton going to be Drew McIntyre? Is this the time? But it kind of seems like they're trying to take The Fiend and make him the main eventer on Raw. The way he was featured at the start of the show, he was there throughout the show. I think he got three different segments where he, sorry, he appeared three different times. So it just, it felt like this was all about, we're going to get The Fiend over. And like you said, and I think like I said a little bit, I was worried initially when I saw him with Retribution, but they played that opening segment really well. I, I thought to myself, hey, you know what? Maybe Smack, maybe Raw has fixed some of their booking issues because they figure out a way to get Fiend out of there without them all attacking, but Fiend not looking scared. Five-person faction, four men, obviously. And I thought, hey, you know what? Raw has maybe figured out something here where they let Fiend look strong by not being scared of them at the same time they had the balls, for lack of a better term, to go after The Fiend. And I was kind of down for it. And then her business music hits and they're all kind of there. And it's just, I, I started getting bad feelings. And that permeated through the end of the match, like I said, where they had a brand new faction that they're trying to develop, lose to the Hurt Business. Now, it made the Hurt Business look strong. So good for them. And they are strong and they're a good faction. And we have factions on Raw, Chris. By the way, 
officially, we have two factions. There's no doubt about it. Yep. But but while Hurt Business looks pretty good, you know, they're they're a fine faction. They're a B-side faction. You need that A-side. You need the NWO. You need the D-Generation X, where they are more Nation of Domination, Los Bariquas, um, DOA, I think, was one of the other ones that WWE had at that time. They're the B-side faction. They're, they're really closest to Nation of Domination, and not because they're black. It's just that that's the closest comparison, because they are way better than like Los Bariquas or, or DOA were. But there's just, Retribution isn't, you know, the NWO. They're not Degeneration X. They are, their DOA, really, more than anything else. That's what they are. So you need them to get some momentum, to get some wins. These people are huge. Mace and Dijak, T-Bar, sorry, whatever. Those two guys, and they could have just called them Dijak because it, it kind of fits. Um, but Mace and T-Bar are huge dudes. Mustafa Ali is the former Cruiserweight champion. Obviously, he's a leader and can talk. So there's really not a good reason for these guys not to be able to pin MVP or Cedric Alexander or something in that match. Yet, that's not what we get. We get Retribution retribution losing. And then we move on. And Mustafa Ali, later in the show, I think like two hours later, hour three, if memory serves, cuts a pretty fire promo. Given Retribution's struggles, Ali's promo was kind of a shining moment for them. In fact, it probably is, to date, Retribution's best moment. First of all, he crushed the promo. The guy is absolute fire on the mic. Mm -hmm. He also connected the dots of the hacker from SmackDown to Retribution. And I thought he could have gone a little bit more in depth there, but it seemed like they just kind of wanted to tie the knot and move on. Yeah. So they did, and that's okay, but he tied it up. He said, look, I have ways of creating chaos beyond just starting fights and and ruining shit, you know, give me a password, give me an entry into your personal life and I will ruin it and I'll expose the truth. And that worked for me. And I wasn't quoting, I was paraphrasing just to to be clear because he said it way better than I did. But they connected the dots without hitting us over the head with it as viewers. So this was a big win for him and for Retribution, despite the poor booking. I thought they could have done it slightly better by having Ali hack into the Firefly Funhouse feed and deliver this promo right in the middle of the Funhouse. Had he done that, it would have tied in the hacker and Retribution and all of this together, more so than Ali kind of just saying, yes, I was the hacker. No, show us. Hack in, have that little circle come up, have it be Retribution, and then and then cut your promo right in the middle of Firefly Funhouse. That would have been better. Instead, we kind of just got a promo backstage that but you used a 4K camera. You know what I mean? When I thought it could have been a little bit more grungy, a little bit maybe closer to what the Shield used to do. So there are elements that need to be improved and fixed here, but I would be lying if I didn't say that Mustafa Ali, in that moment, as I expected him to, gave me a shred of hope. It took an F night from Retribution and made it like a C-. minus. Yeah, and I texted you this last night that your screen and my screen like blacked out like once or twice during the show. Yeah, during AJ when he was talking. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't know that that brought the hacker idea back to mind for me, and I'm pretty sure that was before 
he mentioned the hacking thing. So I, I don't it know was, if they have any, yeah. I don't know if they have plans for that or not, or if that just happened to be a technical glitch or whatever. But yeah, the, the sense I got was that they just wanted to mention the hacker thing to tie it back together, but then move on. It's not really going to change anything. I, I think what you laid out is a great idea. I think they should. I think Ali should have done that promo before a, a match or immediately after losing, perhaps. Um, just because because it was kind of some space there and it kind of like, like we thought retribution was done and it took later in the show to come back <laughs> right to that um so you know big picture retribution i'm still not a big fan of them playing by the rules we, we've talked about the idea of them signing contracts getting drafted I, I i part of me is like i wish the only matches they had were like unsanctioned brawls like that's all they would do and actually getting them into a match would require some negotiations of some kind i i don't know but you know now they've got an entrance music they've got their thing they're kind of just part of the deal now so you know mustafa ali continues to be the bright spot of it so hopefully he can pull something out of it uh but they continue to be very very hit and miss Yes, very hit and miss. And I didn't get a lot of it. I think we only got like 10 seconds, but the entrance music actually seemed okay. Yeah, I kind of liked it when I heard it, but I I, I didn't get to hear it. Yeah, we didn't really get to hear it, but it it did seem like it kind of fit them. The other thing I noticed is Ali was wearing a black shirt, which had an R and a bunch of white lines coming out of it. And I I wouldn't be surprised if they start using that as their new logo. It's a takeoff of like a black and white American flag, but not that like purposely not that because all the lines are directly next to the R. The R takes up the entire left side of the logo as opposed to just the top left corner. Um, So I thought that was cool. It was different than just the word retribution in fake spray paint. And again, the retribution logo isn't bad. It's not make or break, but it's just another thing where you're like, look, give a little bit more thought into it. Like what I just explained. And again, just because I give a booking idea on the show, a fantasy book, whatever the case, doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean it would be better. But I do believe that you do, WWE, this is what they victimize themselves of a lot of times. The booking, even when it's good, is one step, one thought process away from being great. The promo with Mustafa Ali and Retribution was good. The Firefly Funhouse, which we'll talk about momentarily, was fine on its own. But since you had them interact earlier in the show, it and since the Firefly Funhouse is weird and it cuts into a feed and, and you kind of don't necessarily know where it's coming from, and on the same show, you're having Ali explain that he was the hacker. Why would you not merge the two together and have Bray Wyatt be blissfully unaware that his feed right in the middle of his show got hacked into? Mm-hmm. That It's these little touches that can take a product from good to great or bad to even good. And it's those little touches that they continuously miss in WWE, particularly with Retribution in many respects, because Retribution has been bad largely, but it shouldn't be bad. It should be mediocre. But there's just these things they keep doing, like having them lose their first match that continuously make them bad, like naming someone Slapjack. Because you can excuse Mace as a name, Maybe even T-Bar you can excuse if you give the third guy an okay name, like AK or something like that. Although they probably didn't want to be that blatant with a gun reference. But my point is, it's those little extra pieces that WWE continuously screws up 
And that is the most frustrating thing. I Bad storylines, I get them everywhere. We get them on SmackDown, NXT, AEW. There's bad storylines everywhere in wrestling. But stupidity and lack of thought, that is where things hurt me as a wrestling fan. And largely, a large part of retribution, throwing two cinder blocks through the same window a couple months ago, those little stupid things pissed me off because I know that they can do better, especially when stuff like that was, the cinder block thing, was taped. Uh, we'll move on. With well, a couple well, more th- one last thing I want to say. It, it, sure. feels, it feels like retribution does not have control anymore. When they were stealing the feed, when they were jumping into things and beating people up, it felt like they, as characters, kind of were in control in some form. And when you have them lose, when you have them no longer hacking into stuff or, or taking over feeds or surprise attack, it feels like they've lost the little bit of edge, the little bit of control that they had. And, and it it bounces back week to week, but they the the Ali promo was good, but it almost felt a little bit like they were flailing a little bit. And it feels like that's a little early for that. I think something like breaking into the breaking into the fiend feed, whether that's for a fiend feud or whether it's not, right, would just provide that sense of oh these guys these guys can still do some stuff instead of like they're trying to cover their ass, right? And I, I'm glad they're not doing the campy like, hey, let's tear apart catering. You know, and turn a car over or something. Honestly, or honestly, honestly, I was honestly, I think that would have been fine. I don't think it would look good after they lost, but it just, no, it I'm, feels, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm okay with them going away from all that. In fact, I like it. But the direction that they can take them, this is, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. To your point, is now that you've introduced the fact that Ali can hack and was the hacker, that is how you can utilize them to still create chaos, interrupting a match. Like right in the middle of a match that people want to see, for example, have them pop in and cut a promo while Adam Pierce is making a match or settling an argument backstage, have them cut in and cut a promo like those are the during a contract signing for a world title match, have them cut in and cut a promo. Maybe the lights go out and, you know, then they finish and the lights come back on and like the the two main eventers are sitting there like, what the hell, what the hell was that? Right. Because they don't know what was said on camera. They, They couldn't see the feed. So those are all things they can now do that they've introduced the hacking angle and the first opportunity they had to do it, they didn't do it. And it would have made all the sense in the world. So yeah, it's just these little pieces, right? And that's where things get frustrating for me as as a WWE fan. It's when they do stuff like this, where they introduce something that on its own makes sense, but they don't utilize it properly. So there's more to this couple quick things here. Uh, Titus O'Neil was backstage wanting to join the Hurt Business. Titus obviously doesn't have much of a TV role for WWE. So this was fine. I didn't mind that they just beat the crap out of him. It was a short segment to kind of remind that these guys are still heels. I saw some people complaining about that online, that Hurt Business is kind of in a tweener role. But even after they do something that might be face-like, they make sure they have someone to beat up. So Ali, obviously a few weeks ago, um, Ricochet, I think before that, and now Titus O'Neil, where... They're going after her business, or sorry, going after Retribution. And it's like, oh, maybe these guys are actually going to be faces. And then they remind you later in the show, don't worry, they're still heels. I, I didn't have I, a problem, though. No, I don't either. I actually, I, I like I like that the Hurt Business is feuding with Retribution because they got paid to protect. And and it's it's mostly a pride thing. And it works for them. Like, you can, you can, you can believe that the Hurt Business do, is doing this for pride because they exude that um so i i'm 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 fine actually with 
her business and retribution feuding there have been problems with bits of the execution around it and whatnot but the idea of the two of them i have no problem with it and i i think it's exactly what they said they're making sure they still have heel heat by beating someone else backstage i'm I'm fine with it the other thing that's weird is they just went right to the eight-man tag team match you would have thought they might do a situation where like t-bar gets one over on shelton benjamin Right. So they do a singles match. Everyone's at ringside. And yes, maybe it ends in DQ, right? Right. And that's, do, what, that's what I expected. And you do different versions of that for, you know, about a month, five weeks. And then at Survivor Series, you have a four on four elimination match between your two factions, right? Like it's not that hard to book, but they've already given us the eight man tag and Retribution lost. So like, even if you had Retribution win all these matches and have them look strong and then Hurt Business goes over at the pay-per-view, because Bobby Lashley hits the hurt lock on T-Bar or even Ali, it's okay because Retribution has won all the way up until it. And that, and that's WWE booking. I'm not even saying that's the best booking. That's just how they book. So at least go in that direction, but they didn't even do that. But let, let's move off her, her business and Retribution. Quick Firefly Funhouse. I didn't think this was a great addition compared to the last few, but we did have a couple notable moments. Bray Wyatt, pulled out a little bit of an Easter egg. And that was that black and red symbol, which I don't know if you remember, was from his feud with Randy Orton back in 2017. Oh, so, I, I knew it was a reference <clears throat> to something. I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, it was like when he like knighted him like in, in the shed. Uh, so that was interesting. Then you had Huskus the pig quoting Old Dirty Bastard, which was just hysterical. <laughs> I love that. And then Bliss shows up at the end and she keeps it interesting going into next week. A nice touch, one other thing, and you definitely didn't catch this because you didn't watch NXT back in the day, but she was wearing an old top maroon oh. and uh, black top that she used to wear when she managed Blake and Murphy in NXT. Yep. So yep, I, do, I do remember that. Yep. Okay. So you did. So just no, no, like, like, it was like the night, it's like the, it was like her nightmare on Elm Street type of look with yes. the hand thing. Yeah. And they all kind of, Blake and Murphy like had that, like yeah. one, at, for some point at one gimmick, like they all were black and maroon. Uh, so just like The Fiend reverts and changes other people, he seems to have done that with her as well. He's changed her, but also a part of her brain kind of reverted back to what she was in NXT. So I just thought while again, it wasn't as entertaining as other Firefly Funhouse have been, really the last two or three have been incredible, uh, especially with Wobbly Walrus. That was maybe my favorite of all time. But this was still good enough to kind of make me smirk and enjoy the creativity of the segment. Yeah. You know, this is, I don't exactly remember when the fiend debuted, but we're going on well more than a year of, uh, of these things. And they're still good. They're still interesting. Yeah. It's a change of pace. It does. It's not someone coming out and hosting a talk show. It's, um, and Bray's obviously a very, very creative guy. So, uh, that was good. It was, I don't know why bringing Alexa bliss was like a big surprise necessarily considering we'd already seen it all, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it was good. It was fun. I still really much enjoy it. And um, they, they, there's still so many different things they can do with the Firefly Funhouse. And, and we've seen it from time to time. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it worked. And I think Fiend, Fiend and Alexa Bliss together, but Alexa Bliss in particular, she adds a new element to him. She is actually helping him more than he is helping her. And he is helping her because she's revitalized. You're going to see a different gimmick in the ring. You just her act and wrestle differently, I assume. But wrestling, while she's fine, she's, there's no issue with her wrestling. It's not necessarily her strongest suit, 
So seeing less of her in the ring is good. Seeing more of her on the mic and doing character work is great. And dude, I think at some point in the next calendar year, we're going to see The Fiend as WWE champion and Alexa Bliss as Raw Women's champion simultaneously. And I mean, talk about a power couple. That's just like, I kind of kind of want to geek out about that a little bit. I know people, there's a lot of people that hate The Fiend. Many who listen to this show. I know really? Black, uh, yeah, Black Saber Jr., one of our longest listeners. I mean, he's listened since the start of the show. Uh, but one of my longest listeners dating back to the other show I was on, uh, he hates The Fiend. And he, he's like, don't, I saw, I see him on Twitter. Doesn't want to watch Rob now because The Fiend is on it and it gives him an excuse <laughs> not to watch. And dude, yes, I see your Twitter if you're listening to this. Um, but but that's okay. Like you're you're allowed not to like The Fiend. But I don't think anyone should hate The Fiend. That That is where I draw the line because I just find it so smart and entertaining. And it's a great utilization of Bray Wyatt and all of his talents. And, and this is another example. And they and they don't go overboard with it. They they keep it yeah. special when when it's the fiend. And I actually just talked myself into realizing something. I was confused as to why Alexa Bliss showing up on Firefly Funhouse was unique for some reason. Is that the first time we've seen Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt? Yes. So that's what it was. So the idea that Bray and the fiend are different people, not Bray and Alexa, are interacting for the first time here. It's not. Alexa and the Fiend, and and what's interesting also is Alexa didn't wasn't different. So yeah, in so, Firefly yeah. Funhouse, they could have almost had her back in her like pixie outfit that she used to wear, but they didn't. You know, she was the same. That's actually and honestly, I think that would have been a cool idea. I, I know we kind of like take something WWE does and be like, oh, they should have done this instead. But we're kind of just adding on to what they do a lot of the times. Uh, but that's a great idea. Honestly, I like that. So I, I'm curious, but in general, I, I'm I am interested moving forward in how they do Bray Alexa dynamics and in 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 the talking and, and whatever they decide to do so uh right like is she gonna be at ring ringside when he has matches now like is she the manager like how are they going to play it or does she just is he in the middle of a match and maybe struggling a little bit against someone and she shows up and like distracts them and then fiend hits the mandible claw there are so many interesting things that they can do with both of them mm-hmm. and by the way i'm not saying that they're necessarily heels either because there's still something in me that makes me think it's possible that they become faces. It's, you know, they, they kind of tried to do that with, with the fiend before. I, um, I don't know. You, like you mentioned them being champions, both of them. I just, after the way things worked out last year with, with Bray having the title and how weird it got, I, I don't want that to be a thing anytime soon. I, I'm fine with keeping them away from the titles for quite a while until they because they kind of, they kind of took the fiend to the title to the title picture too quickly last time. And I, I don't want that to happen again with these two. That's true. And I do agree with it. But remember this, they booked themselves into a corner and then were forced to give the fiend a title because of the way they booked that Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match. By the way, one year ago, okay, one year ago was the worst fiend booking that we got. But once the fiend won the title, his feuds were good with The Miz, with Daniel Bryan. His title reign actually was not bad. The stuff that was bad was how it started with Rollins and how it ended with Goldberg. Had The Fiend taken the title into WrestleMania and feuded with Roman Reigns, and you presume that they go back to anyone but you, Roman, the old storyline, it probably would have ended well with the only bad part of that of him having the title being the beginning and the fact that he really won it at all. But once he got the title, 
he was booked really well. So I agree. I don't want them to rush and give him the title. I don't think he needs the title. We're in agreement there. I'm just saying the look, the 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 picture of the Fiend and Bliss standing next to each other in the funhouse and also in the ring with the titles, I think it's something that may be too much for WWE to pass up at some point in the next year. Uh, let's move on to everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown before we go into our Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. We'll start with the official final split of the New Day. Over on SmackDown, they had a six-man tag against Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Sheamus. I thought it was nice that they gave New Day a moment before the match, but the piped-in sound was so distracting while they were kind of talking to each other and cutting that promo. I'd almost have preferred it happen afterward as a celebration. They win the match, and then they cut a promo about how great this time has been together. It ended up being a pretty long six-man tag team match, went two segments, There was a lot of action, but the constant theme of it was New Day working together as a true team, where Cesaro, Nakamura, and Sheamus maybe weren't as tight. Uh, Biggie being the one to get the pin after hitting the midnight hour was the right booking, and I thought the moment between them afterward was really sweet. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a weird setup because we're like feeling sad about all this, but the only thing that's happened to them is that WWE creative decided to split them up like it's not like like it's not like they lost in storyline and they have to split up or something. So and, it's like, and let me let me briefly interrupt you. They split them up to push Big E. Yeah. So it's like, like that's a good development. You know, it, it's just it's a we it's just kind of hangs over all of this because it's like it's not like someone's leaving the company and they're breaking up like when Dean Ambrose left, you know, it's so it's 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 still a little bit weird. That said, I really like that group promo they did you know xavier talking about how he probably wouldn't even be here if it was them kofi talking about how he was getting ready to to, didn't know if he wanted to do wrestling for the rest of his life biggie making a joke about how he's i think like he's not married or something and it it just reminded you it it brought back everything and reminded you why these guys work so well together and why we love them so much Uh, and that was really nice and also why there's no reason to break them up you know, I don't. Well, they like, didn't, so they're not broken up. They're I just will, split. Yeah, they're, they're split. They're they're performing in the same arena. It's it's just it's kind of weird the whole dynamic. I think this would have obviously with a lot of things been a lot more emotional if there was a crowd there as well. Yeah, uh, but you know, it was it was good. It was sweet. I still feel like this is not necessary at all, but it is going to make it special. Uh, if they pop in time to time and see each other, if, if Big E wins a WrestleMania match and they come out to celebrate or if they team up again. So, you know, it, it did it did make me feel feelings in through all that. It was just a little bit weird that, like, we, we don't need to be doing this, but maybe maybe this is the long play. And then when that reunion happens or whatever, we're going to be even more excited and they're building for that. Yeah, I do have to believe that to some respect or some degree, they said to them, guys, this is what we're going to do, but this is how it's going to end. And they, I would hope that they all bought into it. I would love to interview any of them on this podcast. And I hope to, I have the feelers out there for all three guys separately. Um, And I would love to ask the question because generally they're pretty candid, not necessarily telling me how it's going to end, but I'd love to ask them, you know, you guys have said numerous times over the last few years that you will not be split up, that you refuse, that you let stop wrestling if that's the case. Are you okay with this? Like, was this something that was done with your acknowledgement? 
And if they say yes, that's good enough for me, right? Because I would trust them to have their careers in their own hands. Also, I, I don't think this is bad necessarily. Like, you know what? Seeing Biggie on his own Friday lately, like over the last couple of months, has been fine. Mm -hmm. Seeing Kofi and Xavier Woods on their own Monday, that was weird to me. Yes. That it, it, was weirder than Big E being on his own. Yes, because Big E has always felt like the anchor. He's the big personality and the yeah. biggest person. Yeah, yeah. so not, and obviously Kofi is a main eventer, one WrestleMania and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Xavier, and this is not any sort of slight, but has always felt like a sidekick type of role. So it, I think it's going to take some time for them to build build the two of them together as a tag team, even though they're the champs, yeah. but still calling them the new day, still doing everything that they do. It just kind of, you can't help but notice that one of them isn't there. So I'm curious right. if, I'm curious right. if they make any changes moving forward, whether it's a, maybe it's a remix of the intro or something, or, or, or they change their outfits or they change what they're doing. I do think they need to change it, tweak it, not overhaul it, but tweak it because it's just going to remind us of who's, not there every time because the no, new day, a, the new day point. is three, the new day is three people. It always will it, be. It's a great point. They're coming down. They don't get Biggie doing the intro, you know, for them to come yep. to the ring. Um, they they are smaller in stature without him there in terms of overall size as a group. Yes, you do make a good point, Xavier. He may be the lesser of the three, and I don't mean it that way because he's extremely talented in his own right. But he's also the glue. So right now you have the glue yep. and, one, and one piece, but the other piece is missing. So you just have one piece with a lot of glue on it, looking for something to stick to. And it doesn't have anything to stick to right now. So that's kind of what New Day is. It's, it's like two pieces of a puzzle without the, the thing that's going to bind them together. Whenever somebody was out, whoever it was, and we saw the two of them, it was always like, well, one of them's not there. That feels a little weird. Like no matter if someone was injured and out. True. Uh, it, it, whenever it was just two of them, it was always noticeable who was not there because they all provide their own role in this whole thing that is New Day. And so yep. with one of them permanently no longer being there, I, I think they need to adjust it a little bit. Honestly, the storyline I would do with them would be that Xavier Woods and Kofi struggling without Biggie, kind of losing these titles pretty quick and going on a losing streak a little bit and saying like, what are we? What are we without E? Like, why can't we make this work? And maybe they bump into each other at a pay-per-view and he revs them up a little bit and then they start going on a winning streak and then they meet up, you know, about a year from now. So I do think there are interesting things that they can do and they're just getting started. So we'll see, but you're right. Tweaking the music, um, changing the look just a little bit, all of it temporary. Knowing that once Big E rejoins them, that things will go back to normal. I think that is a good move for these two because otherwise, I am a little worried. Not about them long term, not about their careers, but how they'll be over, how entertaining they'll be, how much it will make sense for them to be together. And kind of pushing that forward was Monday night. They had Kofi Kingston in a singles match against Sheamus. And I thought that was interesting because these are the tag team champions. Sheamus is clearly a singles wrestler right now, but they had Kofi not just fight him, but go over clean. Kofi Kingston beat Sheamus. Now, look, Kofi, former WWE champion, Sheamus, former world champion. 
it, there's no harm whatsoever in that happening. But it was a surprising booking for me to see that go down. Uh, they explained early in the show or right before the match, New Day is still together despite being on separate brands. The promo back and forth with Sheamus was kind of funny, but it was missing that biggie element to it. Then they had the match and the match was way longer and way better than I expected it to be. Kofi had a cool Russian leg sweep from the middle rope. Then he shocked me by hitting Trouble in Paradise and getting the win. It seemed in some ways like an unnecessary loss for Sheamus to take from a tag team champion, but Sheamus can eat losses, totally fine. And then they also had Big E watching along in the Thunderdome during the match. So this whole booking was just a little strange. It felt like, hey, you got a lot of singles people on this roster right now. Why don't you have one of them face Sheamus? Or why don't you do a tag team match where Sheamus finds another partner? But they had Kofi Kingston beat Sheamus. I can't say I don't like it. I love when Kofi Kingston wins. But the whole thing just felt a little odd to me. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about this coming out of the draft, but the sheer lack of tag teams makes it interesting. I mean, maybe Sheamus will come back with a tag team partner. They kind of seem to allude to that possibility and, the, and then they'll do a tag team match. I, I, I don't know. Um, but this felt like, again, different people involved, but I mentioned earlier people changing brands in the feuds just continuing on those brands this kind of just felt like another extension of the Biggie Sheamus feud, but we're just plugging in another member of the New Day. So we'll see. I, I don't know if this specifically was supposed to draw out anything, but we'll see what we I don't think we yet know what what their plans are. I agree. Another DM slide here. From Tristan Atalano at Atalano underscore Tristan. He says, as Biggie and Roman stand across from each other at Mania, right as the match is about to start, I want that damn New Day music to hit. And I want Kofi and Woods to come out. And I want Kofi to tell E that he remembers how much support E had for him during his mania moment. And while they're on different brands, they're family. And they've got Biggie's back for his moment as well. These guys can make such a cool, emotional WrestleMania moment. They've done it before. They can do it again. So that's kind of what you were saying as well. I just wanted to make sure I read that here. I agree. I do think that the road to mania, if they don't go... Roman Reigns and The Rock. And there's a lot of reasons not to do that. Number one, they're not going to be in Los Angeles this year. It seems like they're actually going to move WrestleMania back to Tampa this year and push WrestleMania LA one more year. So if that's the case, which I expect it to be, can you do Roman Reigns and The Rock in Tampa? Absolutely. You definitely could. But I also think this Roman Reigns character has a lot of legs to it. And two years is not that much, or a year and a half really, is not that much to ask for him to be strong. Big E was split for a reason. Now, was it maybe to go after the mid-card title? Intercontinental Championship? Maybe. But we do have a year. And if we don't get The Rock versus Roman Reigns, I think the based on what I can surmise, based on their roster right now, the only other match I would really want out of SmackDown would be Roman Reigns and Big E. And I think that would be a great booking. The thing that Tristan laid out right here. Well, I hope you were ready for Roman versus Goldberg. <laughs> if, I mean, God, God damn. If they yeah. do that. So I, I, I think Roman versus Biggie would be great. It's probably not the main, main event match uh, at this moment. I, I don't think they would push it that way yet. Um, but the idea of New Day coming out, supporting him, I think that's what you do like on your go home to that match, uh, not at WrestleMania necessarily, um, but 
Possibly, yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially especially if Roman does create the bloodline. Like if if that happens and he gets the Usos with him, whether by contract, whether by brainwashing, whatever the case might be. If that happens, that would be imagine that. Imagine that Reigns with the Usos and Paul Heyman, Biggie by himself having won the Royal Rumble. And then New Day shows up. Like yeah. one week out from WrestleMania. Yeah. It'd be pretty cool. Like that. So, we'll we'll see. I I I think um we we've seen good bits from Big E here. I, I'm curious where I'm curious where because if he's they if he's going to be WrestleMania main event title match, they have to start building that now. They have to start working on that. That's what you know. Becky Lynch was quite a while. Kofi was the last minute yeah. thing, but usually these things take like you got to start building this up. So. They're in the around, they're, around in, they're in the time zone right now, and Biggie hasn't lost since he got the singles push. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna need to start seeing like big time, like gotta see what Biggie's doing every week type of stuff coming up uh, in the next couple of months. I agree. Uh, we also on Raw had AJ Styles defeat Matt Riddle, and one thing I forgot to mention coming out of the main event going into this segment, Raw as a whole was an absolute mess to me. They basically set up nothing for Hell in a Cell, despite it being a go-home show for the pay-per-view. As a season premiere, barely any new exciting talent was established. Every shiny new toy that Raw had, for lack of a better term, Retribution, um, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, lost or was irrelevant. It was so disappointing. And that's what happened here, even though this was somewhat interesting. You had AJ Styles defeat Matt Riddle. Styles cut the type of promo that I would have expected him to to open the show. It's interesting that they paired him with uh, Jordan Omagbahane. I had to look up the pronunciation there. <laughs> and I wonder if they're going to have whether a Shawn Michaels Diesel type of dynamic or perhaps something a little bit different than that long term. Either way, it's intriguing to have for Styles to have a heavy, really, for the first time in his in his career, I think. Maybe he had one in New Japan. Um, I don't know if Fale was with Styles back then or not, or if that was more of a new development with um, Bullet Club. But regardless, uh, this is different in WWE for ha- for him to have a guy like that. And the Styles-Riddle match, that's always going to bang, right? And this was a banger. But like earlier when Retribution lost and when Keith Lee ended up losing, having the younger Riddle who you're supposed to be building as a star drop his very first match on Raw. By the way, he won his very first match on SmackDown when he debuted on SmackDown. It just felt like a bad piece of booking. At least they gave him an excuse due to the ringside distraction, which allowed Styles to hit the Styles Clash. But I know Styles is great. I know he's a big part of the new Raw because he's one of few true main eventers they have. It just felt weird to give us this match off the bat rather than establish Styles and this guy even over Kingston or another face who could eat a loss. Instead, they put him right over Matt Riddle, a guy who probably should be getting built up to make a run at Bobby Lashley. Yeah, and you know, there was a big difference in how, t- talking about highlighting people, um, there was a big difference in how SmackDown started and how Raw started, uh, where you had Triple H and, and Stephanie like just, revealing everybody highlighting individual people being like this guy matters this it's a season premiere here's right. this character here's this character here's this character and then it devolved into a brawl or whatever but 
you know, I, I've said this before. I, I, I like to look at the WWE YouTube page the next day to see like what seemed to resonate. That Triple H Stephanie intro of everybody has a million views, like double everything else that showed up on SmackDown. So that clearly made an impact. And that was a lot different than Raw, which didn't give you that, which had Matt Riddle lose, which felt like a regular normal episode of Raw. So it was two very different approaches to the season premiere. And yeah, it's a weird start for someone like Matt Riddle. And if you're going to do a, I don't know if they're doing a Matt Riddle AJ Styles feud or not, but starting it off with losing the match is not a good way to do a feud. Like that's, yeah, just have Riddle roll him up and then them chase him out. And then next week have him and Jordan beat the hell out of him. Yeah. Like you got, you can't, you can't give us the, deal right away because you just lose interest i am i do like aj having a heater uh i i i actually like this better than i think i actually like this better than having the good brothers as his heaters because this guy's way more physically imposing and it's like you can't help but like notice the size difference between the two of them yeah and and he's a silent dude i don't know long term you know what his future is going to be as a wrestler or whatnot but just in this role I thought it I thought it all worked out great on Monday in terms of AJ, the presentation, Jordan and, and, and what they're doing. We can criticize WWE for their direction in terms of uh, like how matches are shot, but their camera work in still type of moments when they want to tell a story with the camera is great. They had an awesome hard cam shot of AJ Styles cutting his promo where this guy was the entire background. He was so big behind Styles that there was nothing else you could see except for Styles in the sky. Right. And that is the type of camera work that really resonates with me. They do it with The Fiend all the time. They, they figure out really cool angles to cut. Um, they did it, I think, with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso when he was attacked. They always find those cool angles to do. And this, I think, was one of them where they presented them in a great way. Now, this guy needs a name. I did see like six months ago or something where WWE trademarked the name Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S. And I thought that was going to be the name for Retribution. Okay, maybe it wasn't six months. Maybe it was two or three. It must have been. Um, and I thought that was going to be their name. Maybe this can that can be his name. And I hope it is because that, that would be a pretty good name for him. But they just, they got to give this guy a character, have AJ explain who he is and why he's there. They didn't really do that here. And it's okay because they were kind of debuting him in this role. But next week, we need a little bit more. I did, by the way, like the interaction with the referee where the ref's like, hey, get out of the ring. He just stands there and he goes to AJ. Hey, AJ, get him out of the ring. And AJ's like, I can't get him out of, you know, I can't, I don't control him. It's a different dynamic. AJ's not necessarily in control of this guy, but they are intertwined together. So I, I'm just very, really curious to see what they do as a duo. Do they become a tag team? Can this guy wrestle? I know he worked the NXT house show circuit, the two house shows I went to, I did not see him, just how it happened. Uh, I think he actually did some stuff with Casey Cantazaro, which is pretty funny when you consider the differential in size. I think it's like 4'10 and 7'3", and it's pretty funny. So I would be just really curious to see what this dynamic is going to be. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't interested. I am definitely interested. So yep. Raw Women's Championship, Asuka defeats Lana. Dude, somehow, some way, the surprise of all surprises, Asuka got an acceptable few minutes out of Lana. It was nothing that can be called good, but Lana did not embarrass herself. It was totally acceptable. And we even got a fifth straight Samoan drop through the announce table by Nia Jax in a funny spot. 
it still doesn't make sense to me that they've put the tag team titles on Jax and Shayna Baszler when they need singles challengers for Asuka. I thought they were fixing that a little bit with having them attack Asuka, only for them to turn around and cut a promo about how good they are as a tag team. But before we move on to the second half of this, which is there was a women's tag team match we'll talk about, uh, what did you think about Asuka, Lana, and kind of that development? I got to say, I'm not surprised Asuka pulled a good match out of Lana because she pulls a good match out of everybody every single time. Um, but overall, it just it still feels like there's nothing for Asuka to do since the Bailey Sasha stuff ended. The women's tag team thing is weird when, you, again, you don't have women's tag teams. The draft reordered people, but I, I, I still don't see like a plan. I, I don't really know. I don't yet have faith that they have a plan yet. They haven't showed me that, oh, I can tell they're going to start building somebody up here. I just, it just kind of seems like it's, again, flailing a little bit week to week. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we also, so then we have the Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler tag team match where they beat Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce, the Riot Squad, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke in a fatal four-way tag team match. So don't get me wrong, okay? I love that they got all the women involved in a segment especially since half of them were pretty new to Raw. But everything else about this was pretty stupid. So this match had the stupid rule where it's a fatal four-way, but only two people are illegal at any given time. You and I have talked about that before. The, that, that's not how you do it. If you're going to do triple threat or fatal four-way tag team matches, whatever the number is, the three or four people are legal, they can tag their partners. That's the way you do these types of matches. Two people legal is just stupid. It was... Also good, though, I will say, I said also good, it, it was good, that Mandy and Dana and the Riot Squad both got near falls because they're being built up as legitimate tag teams. It was also telling to me that Lacey Evans was the one to take the pinfall, ultimately. But why did WWE split up Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville just to put Mandy Rose back in a tag team? I know that storyline, the way it ended and maybe they weren't done with it when, during hair versus hair. Maybe it had longer legs. I don't know what the plans were for Mandy. But it seemed like Sonya and Mandy eventually would be split and both going as single stars, whether that was on Raw or SmackDown. But they just moved Mandy right into another tag team with Dana Brooke. And by the way, I think they look good. I think they work as a tag team together. But it's just insulting. And then why do you split up the Iconics only to have Peyton Royce tag with yeah. someone new. That yeah. doesn't make a shred of sense. That is way worse than splitting up Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville because at least Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville had individual personalities. And you could see that they were different types of people. The Iconics are a legitimate team, like Otis and Tucker. Why would you split up a team only to have them be a team again? And why, Chris? Why were the Riot Squad even on the show when they were just drafted to SmackDown? So this whole segment to me, despite the action actually being pretty good, it reeked. And it was just another example of Raw largely being dumb and stupidly booked. When I talk about not having a plan for Oscar, the women's tag belts, they don't have a plan for the women's division. I don't understand. You just laid it all out. Exactly right. I don't know why Mandy and Sony. I mean, Sony's doing her dealing with her own uh, 
the stuff outside, which is fine. But yeah, Peyton Royce goes single and we've gotten nothing from her. Where, where were these plans? What would, Mandy has been on Raw for a while now. What is the plan? There's no sense of that they have any idea what they're doing. And Mandy, now, now she's in a tag team and looks like Dana Brooke. And now she doesn't even look unique anymore. You know, she had a... She looks uh, like Trish Stratus with yeah, straight she, hair. Yeah, yeah, and then she's... I know she wore an outfit the other day that was essentially kind of a honoring Trish or something. But yeah, now she looks like a generic women's wrestler. I, I don't understand what any of this is. And I think that segment highlighted that the women's division, the the not not the people involved in it. There are talent, plenty of talented women in it, but the whoever is planning it, uh, I have no idea what they're doing. Just like if no they're clue. if they're trying to make them a new version of the Glamazons, like I'm okay with that because it, it 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 fits them right. They're both strong. Um, they were both muscle, I think, and fitness competitors. Dana Brooke certainly is more built in that regard, muscle wise, than Mandy at least now. Um, but it, it works. They work as a tag team. I'm okay with it. But like, I, I think they did Mandy Rose, like, you know, where she whispers her name. And then I think they gave her new music also. And yeah, she just looks like a creator wrestler. So does Peyton Royce largely. Like mm-hmm. she's just wearing colored gear. And it it just, I, I saw her come out and I was like, wow, that's Trish Stratus when she debuted in WWE. Mm-hmm. And while that's a compliment because they're beautiful women, that wasn't the reason I thought that. It was literally how they looked. I, I was just like, they were just trying to make her Trish Stratus. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because Trish is one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time, especially in America. But she shouldn't just be trying to be someone else. Like imagine if they had Roman Reigns come out and raise his eyebrow and say, do you smell <laughs> what the Reigns is cooking? Yeah. Like people would shit all over it. And that's kind yeah. of what it feels like they're doing with Mandy Rose. Man- Mandy already hit a character. She was like a key point in a WrestleMania feud. She had yeah. her own individual feud. Like, I, I, again, I just, I don't, I, I don't know if, you know, it's obviously known that Vince McMahon is not big on tag team wrestling. I don't know if he just wanted to break up these women's tag teams and for the hell of it and try to start pushing some of the singles ones that he liked and then just, forgot about it or what, but it has made zero sense why these tag teams are broken up, especially now. We, we didn't like it when it happened. We didn't, I didn't like when the, the iconics broke up. I thought, uh, you know, they, they weren't doing, they weren't getting stale necessarily. Obviously they weren't winning, but they the were back, doing their best. They were doing their best work on the main roster. Their character before. work, their promo stuff, their backstage stuff with Kayla. Like it's really funny stuff. Every time they'd show up on one of those YouTube only things, like they're really funny. And then they're broken up. You're like, Oh, that's, that sucks. I, I guess they're going to push Peyton Royce, but they're not. Apparently I don't, I don't, again, I don't know why you break up these tag teams and then not push those individuals as individuals. It's just, yeah, it, it, it it's it, nonsense. It seems like the women's division is rudderless. It seems yes. like on SmackDown, you have Bailey and Sasha Banks where they're putting effort into, and it's been a long-term story, so good for them. And we'll talk about them a little bit later in the show in our ultimate preview of Hell in a Cell. Business did pick up there. And it does seem like they're pushing Bianca Belair, who we're going to talk about literally in 15 seconds, um, with a, a good vignette. And, like, and it seems like she has some type of direction. But no one else, no woman on either brand, other than them, looks like they have direction. Like, yes, Carmella has a new character. 
Still haven't seen her, right? Naomi's looked like she was doing something. She's gone. Lacey Evans is worthless. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, it looked like they were going to start a feud and the winner was going to take on Asuka. Now they're the women's tag team champions. Like the, the women's division booking has really fallen. And what's crazy is it took a precipitous fall because we just had like Asuka was feuding with Bailey and Sasha Banks. And even though that was rushed, it was good. But you had the storyline on, on SmackDown with Bailey as champion and them both as tag team champions. And Mandy and Sonya were feuding. And it seemed like, man, they're really kicking this women's division into full gear. And then Sonya had to leave due to zero fault of her own. The thing with Asuka stopped. You still don't have Charlotte Flair or Becky around to kind of save whatever other show they're on, which in this case is Raw. And there's just nothing happening. Like it's still, listen, it's way better than AEW, the way they treat women. Don't get me wrong. But if you're ranking like the women's divisions and booking right now in WWE, it's like, or in wrestling, it's like NXT, SmackDown, Raw, AEW. And it shouldn't be like, it should be SmackDown, Raw, and NXT all tied for one. And then AEW last, right? And that's not even how it is right now. I'm not saying that Raw is anywhere close to AEW because they're still doing multiple women's segments. I mean, I think they had like four women's segments on the entire show versus one. But it's just disheartening. Like, because you know how good these women are and you know how talented they can be if given the opportunity to do a little bit more like what Alexa Bliss is doing. But they're just not giving them that little bit more. And that was evident there. But again, SmackDown, it does seem like there's a shining light. And that shining light is Bianca Belair. Because that video package that they aired on Friday night took a dump on every other one that they did for her on Raw, even if you combine them. I don't know if you can call a video package a banger. This thing was a banger. While the Raw vignettes were cute and good in a Mr. Perfect-like way, and I didn't have an issue. I actually enjoyed them large as a sum of their total. This made Belair look like a total badass and a major star, which she will be. I was so hyped after watching it, and the thing only lasted like 60 seconds. So I don't know. This was the best presentation of someone who has yet to wrestle on a particular brand that I've seen in a long time. Yep, yep, yep. And you talk about having a plan. Like, this is clearly, they have a plan, and she should be an absolute star. And I get a little concerned when I say things like that because we said this about Keith Lee like two months ago and we see where he is now. But yeah, I, that was, it, it was perfect. I, I even tweeted after that happened. I was like, Bianca Belair is going to be a star. She can she can do everything. And I'm excited to see where they go because the, and the last thing I was going to say on Raw is that the Becky Sasha stuff, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Bailey Sasha stuff took up everything for a long period of time and you had to know at some point it wouldn't and there would have to be more room for other people to come in and fill these spots especially with alexa bliss doing her thing especially with becky out especially with charlotte out they have to have some several other women prepared to slide into these spots and they didn't uh on on raw especially but they are doing that on smackdown and just very excited to see what the plan is, where they go when she gets, when she starts doing these matches, because, you know, I say this every time WrestleMania comes around when they do those promos for matches, 
WWE's video team is the best. They're, they're better than any pro sport or, or, or sports network that like makes a hype video to get you ready to go. WWE's people are the best at that. And that Bianca Belair um, bit was a prime example of that. And by the way, the song, what was also really strange is the song they used for the vignette is the new theme of Raw. So I don't know why they used like the Raw theme for a SmackDown Superstars video. Maybe they didn't know they were moving her and they had already created it, right? So they just kind of kept it all together because it fit together so well. But I thought that was strange. So we're, I, I'm going to be interested to see if we keep seeing Bel Air vignettes, if she debuts this upcoming Friday. I don't know. It kind of seems like they're going to hold her off until after Hell in a Cell. So one more week, which is totally fine. But it is weird that they're using the Raw theme now for a SmackDown vignette. It's just a little, not vignette, uh, video package. So I thought that was a little strange. Okay. Uh, Daniel Bryan returned to SmackDown. Bryan's promo I thought was largely nothing, but I will admit I did pop when Seth Rollins interrupted him. Their back and forth was also pretty weak. And I was confused why they were fighting really at all. It didn't make much sense until the Mysterios kind of came in because that storyline was ongoing. So Mysterios come out, Murphy comes out, Murphy attacks Rollins and the Mysterios refuse to shake his hand. So clearly they're still going in that direction with this storyline. They wanted to get it on the show, but it didn't progress in any meaningful way. I still think that Murphy's playing both sides and not, and almost like Seth is allowing him to beat him in order to get into the Mysterios head. Otherwise, I don't know how this is going to resolve because Rollins has no group or faction. He's now three on one with the men on that side. And how would he win any match against them? So I just have to believe that this is all a swerve and Murphy and Rollins are still going to be aligned. Otherwise, I don't know exactly what they're doing. It seems like they're setting up Rollins and Brian for something soon, which is great. I couldn't be more excited, but they got to resolve the Mysterio thing before they get there. Once again, a feud that simply just changed brands and has been going on for too long. Um, I don't know. I'm still not really into the whole Mysterio thing. That said, it was great seeing Daniel Bryan. It, it was just a reminder of just how good this guy is just with his presence. And, and he know he knows all the little things. And I, I, I said earlier that, that, that triple H Stephanie intro on, on SmackDown, uh, had a million YouTube views and it was double everything else. I actually was wrong. I forgot the, 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 um, the, the Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan YouTube video has 2 million views. People wow. were excited to see Daniel Bryan. And, and even if it was just for a little bit, I don't know what he's going to be moving forward. If he's going to be regularly involved or what, but just, it was really nice to see him on my screen again. And I realized how much uh, I had missed him. Yeah. He, he, you know what, just seeing him, you're right. It picks things up and even without the fans, the way the Thunderdome doing the yes chant, obviously they choreographed it. It worked though. You just mm -hmm. kind of felt it, right? Like it felt, mm -hmm. it felt real that people were really excited that he's back and they are. And again, Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins tear the freaking house down. You want to do, you want to do a five month feud, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins. I will watch that for five months. If you guys yep. want to do that, I'm totally fine with it. But in order to get us there, they're going to have to end this Mysterio's feud. And they've, they've they can't just like three times and then just kept going. I know, but they can't just blow it off at this point. Like you can't combine them. There's no Rollins has no partner. 
I what, don't what, get what, what they're going to do now. Well, what is the feud now? Is is, is and this is more just for explanation? Is the Aaliyah's that, brainwashed? Is and Aaliyah, brainwa- Aaliyah yeah. is brainwashed by Murphy because she cared about Murphy, and I don't know what Rollins has anything to do with this again. Well, they they don't accept Murphy because of how how much Murphy has ruined sure. their lives in, in, in the last Seth, few months. And is Seth just like dangling this in their face now? I mean, Murphy like was. You know, he put out his hand, he attacked Seth, like, I don't know. This has become so, this is, I don't know what the record is for longest feud, but man, this thing has been going on forever. And uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't immediately after WrestleMania because Rollins was the first, I think. No, it was right after money, it was right after money in the bank. It was right after money in the bank. Right? Or May. It was really May. It was, be, yeah, it was, it, so yeah, it's been five months because it, it was right after Becky announced her pregnancy and then Seth was acting all weird and he attacked Mysterio and right. started this whole thing. So we're, we're at five months and they don't have a match at Hell in a Cell. So we're probably hitting six months. There have been six month feuds before, but holy shit. I mean, <laughs> just end it. Like just figure something out to end it. And I want a resolution. I want the Mysterios to win, but just... This was primed for Hell in a Cell. Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins, Hell in a Cell to end it. But it's not about that anymore. It's not about that. I know, and they (laughs) they haven't they didn't finish it. They they there's like two steps they missed to give us the match that we deserve. They're still together. There's I mean I don't think they're going to go four Hell in a Cell matches, but theoretically they could. But man, I mean unless they have Murphy prove that he was a turncoat this Friday at the beginning of the show. And the show ends with, with not ends, but in the second to last segment with Rollins attacking Mysterio and Mysterio challenging him to Hell in a Cell. Unless they hotshot it, I don't know how this is ever going to end. It's just, it's exceedingly weird. But we need to end because we have to move on. Laura Sullivan defeated Jeff Hardy. Uh, the beginning of SmackDown for me with Stephanie McMahon and Triple H doing the roll call that you were mentioning, for me, it was eye rolling. I know people watched it on YouTube, but it was it was just, annoying. Um, why would all those people feel like they wanted to stand together? Clearly, there were some people there that were feuding with each other. Uh, there was a million camera cuts during the brawl, only for Laura Sullivan to be the one standing tall at the end. Out of all of those names, Laura Sullivan is the one who stands tall. Then he gets a match with Jeff Hardy. As for the match, I'll, I'll separate it, okay? In storyline and kayfabe and booking-wise, it did make sense for Hardy to go out on his back since he was moving to Raw. And it was a big win for Lars Sullivan if you're trying to establish him. Lars was unaffected by the twist of fate, picked Hardy up off the top rope, and hit the freak accident for the win. So booking-wise, I accept it. That was booked, booked properly. It's how if Keith Lee was in his spot, you would want Keith Lee to be booked. But I think there is no runway whatsoever of success for Lars Sullivan. And I just, every time I see him on my TV... I cringe. And it's not even about his stuff outside of the ring and, and why he was suspended and all that. That's bad too. I just don't think he's good. I don't think he works. And I don't think anyone is going to buy into him as the next Braun Strowman type of guy who you can throw into all these feuds. He can't cut a promo. He's a mediocre wrestler and they're overselling him. And I just, I hate it. Nothing. All I can think about when I hear when I hear and see Lars Sullivan is, is Mike Singletary back as a 49ers coach when he said, can't do it. 
I just, I can't, <laughs> I don't know why right. that pop, I just, right. looked, I just looked up the full quote to make sure I had it right. I just, I can't, no, nope, nope. Lars Sullivan, not happening. Never going to happen. Not in this way. I said this last week. You can't make him the monster when you already have Braun Strowman, Fiend, Keith Lee, Dabakato. Uh, now you got Jordan, what's his name, with uh, AJ Styles. There's two men. They have so many monsters. I learned it. I'm going to say it twice. I'm going to have Go to learn it. I'm going to have to learn it. There's so many monsters already. He doesn't stand out. He doesn't do amazing feats of strength. I, I, like, honestly, Otis might be stronger than him. It, it's, 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 he doesn't, he doesn't flash on your screen. Like even for, even for the role they play, I just, it's not, it's nope. Can't do it. So ant at actually, let me hit the button. We do have a DM slide ant at refuse to be underscore normal. Can we get a count on Tuesday's podcast on how many times they said the word freak in 15 minutes? I'm going to start tuning off my TV. When I see Lars come out, I am such a good podcast host. I counted. (laughs) I rewound and watched this a second time just for you, Ant, to count. I think it was 35 to 37 times in about (laughs) 17 minutes. What? Okay. Folks, 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 if you have not given this podcast a five-star review that you've reviewed yet please do it just for what adam is providing for you there he counted up the number of times he said free like consider that is twice a minute basically that michael cole or Corey graves or whoever came across the word freak in their commentary he's not a freak when he was initially debuted i think it was on raw with the lights and you could see the hair on his body stick up and the the crazy ass lars music okay, maybe he could have been sold a little bit as a freak. But since that happened, you now have The Fiend and all the people you mentioned. And this guy is just moderately big, mediocre talent, can't speak, no ring gear. I'm almost positive they changed his music, although I wasn't paying attention close enough. I think they changed his music as well. He is not a freak. He sucks. Get him off my TV immediately. Last part here before we get to our Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. Tucker and El Gran Gordo (laughs) defeat The Miz and John Morrison. So where I had an issue with the Riot Squad being on Raw earlier, I did not mind Otis being on Raw for two reasons. Number one, it was funny. And that always saves anything. Number two, we have seen people in the history of wrestling, every brand, but especially WWE, get around rules by dressing up as luchadors. We saw La Luchadora, Elias and NXT did it, Mr. America, Hulk Hogan, and the Calgary Kid in WWE. And by the way, do you know who the Calgary Kid was? The Miz. So this was history biting Miz right back in the ass. They should have mentioned that on commentary, the fact that they didn't shame on them. So I thought it was fun for Tucker to reach out and have Otis come in as El Gran Gordo. Otis bringing the Money in the Bank lunch pail probably wasn't the smartest move in that regard, but it also shows Otis isn't really smart. So maybe it was smart for them to do that from a booking standpoint. But this was entertaining. They won the match, so Otis got over on them again. Mandy Rose 
handing him an entire honey baked ham backstage afterwards. That was funny. The question is, where does this whole thing go from here? Are they going to move Otis to Raw? Are they going to move Tucker back to SmackDown? It just seems like even in this moment, in Tucker's first solo moment on Raw, he couldn't get over without Otis. And we've known that, and that's not a bad thing. But what exactly is the storyline going to be? I don't know. I'm holding out hope. This was surprisingly entertaining for the Silver King. I, I thought it was hilarious. I was dying. I like. I already think Otis is really funny, and this was this just took it up another notch. I thought it was. I, I loved it. I actually thought Tucker cut a pretty good promo on on on, on Miz and Morrison when saying he, he was going yeah. to get a tag team partner, even though they're on different brands. <clears throat> so I I hope they get them back together. I again, as we just explained with the women breaking up a tag team. It it just it doesn't it uh, you don't need to do it. These guys are great together. Uh, I they don't appear to have any major money in the bank plans yet for Otis, so they still have time. Just keep them together. Uh, Otis is really funny, and he's really funny when he has somebody to play off of and kind of lean into it as well. You know, it's it's someone always seems funnier when there's somebody laughing. You know, somebody laughing with them. So I don't know what the plan is. I thought this whole thing was hilarious. Um, yeah, El Gran Gordo, big fan. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good. You're good. Gen- Please, gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Hey, I'm, I'm delicate. That's the meat and meat action we like. It's sometimes, it's, sometimes it's action in the ring. Sometimes it's friendly. Otis and Tucker, it works from a friendly standpoint. Okay, let us move on to our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, admittedly. The show did go a little longer than I expected, but we only have four matches to talk about. So there's only so much to do as we get out of here with our ultimate preview. We'll start off with the latest match announced. Actually, I'm sorry. I do have five matches listed, just to be clear. But we'll start off with our latest match announced officially, which is Jeff Hardy versus Elias. I'm expecting this will be on the kickoff show. Then again, there's only three official matches otherwise, so maybe not. Elias had a concert on Raw. I was surprised they actually let him play an entire song, but I guess the album release is a real thing. He did it while he was off. So this was a legitimate promo for it. I guess that's why they gave it so much television time. This was okay for me with Jeff Hardy playing the guitar. It would have been better if he was playing as part of the band wearing a mask because he can play the guitar and went off on a solo right in the middle of the song. So like right as Elias is singing, Hardy starts going off on a solo. Elias turns around like, what the hell is going on here? And then Elias, I mean, sorry, uh, Hardy attacks him with the guitar. So, you know, I just thought, again, good, could have been great. Uh, Hardy went after him, hit the mic stand with the electric guitar. Elias challenged him afterward. Hardy accepted it on Raw Talk. They'll have a match. Uh, I just don't see how you can have Jeff Hardy lose to Elias. So if they have a match, Jeff Hardy wins. I thought the song was pretty good. You know, I, I, I was okay with it. Not my music, not my type of music. Yeah, it was. It was. I thought it was all right. You know, not not the best thing, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, made me kind of want to check out the album. So, uh, yeah. Again, I, I, this is another feud that came over from SmackDown. I know it had that long pause when Elias was out, but it's kind of continuing. Is what it is. I feel like this. If we had a full out card, this is something that might be a kickoff show match. Um, I, I'm not ready to say Jeff Hardy wins. I, I'm actually going to pick Elias here. I think, especially with the, 
album release and whatnot. I think Elias gets a win. I don't think it's the end of the end of the um, feud, but I'm going to pick Elias. Fair enough. I mean, this feud could certainly go on, and it did just start. But considering Hardy had lost to Laura Sullivan, I just have to believe. Um, I, see, I don't. I don't put much stock in the losing as you're switching brands thing. Just like I didn't put much in Braun losing to. Okay, but Braun beat Keith Lee. Yeah, but he beat him with a. You know, it was. You know, we talk. It's weird. I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying. I, I think. I think someone losing on their way out is, is more about the other person winning than it is about that person. It should be. I agree with that. But I, just the way WWE books historically, that's kind of why I'm defaulting to Jeff, to Jeff Hardy winning. Elias still being angry. Elias continuing to attack him. And from there, um, you know, it is kind of decent that they pulled this together with the storyline of the hit and run. Although I also liked even more than the fact that they tried to tie it together. That commentary just kept kind of explaining Jeff didn't actually hit him with the car. So why is Elias being so stupid here? Right. So at least they at least they're telling us both sides of it. Mm -hmm. So they're not just like doing it and kind of making us think that we're stupid, that Jeff Hardy actually did it. So Mm -hmm. whatever Um, this feud. I'm not a big, I I like Elias on the mic. I I don't think they use him exceedingly well. I would like him to be in a tag team. That is how I think the best utilization of Elias uh, could be found is in a tag team situation because he's not good enough in a ring to be really even a mid Carter or a main eventer. But his mic work and the ability that he has with the guitar is such quality that it would suck to to not be able to utilize him some way. So I just I need to see him in that type of role and a managerial type of role. I don't know, but uh, this isn't doing much for me. I don't him being a major part of Raw is not going to be something that want, makes me want to tune into the show. Up next, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, which is not announced, let's caution, for Hell in a Cell. But given the finish that we got last week on SmackDown, I'm only going to assume it will be added. Ultimately, the Street Profits against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode on SmackDown, the season premiere. I thought this was a total waste of a match. There was some good brief action, but the challengers got themselves disqualified by not relenting when the referee wanted them to stop the two-on-one attack. Why would the challengers get themselves disqualified when they know they won't be able to win the titles? It doesn't make sense. Credit to WWE for at least calling this a DQ, where AEW would have let it go on twice as long, but it made no storyline sense whatsoever. If they do have this tag team title match at Hell in a Cell, which I'm expecting they will, the only thing I can assume is that the Street Profits are going to retain the titles. But... Again, this just seems like a rushed feud. Them getting even the tag team title opportunity so quickly seemed rushed on the premiere. I know they wanted to really build up that show, but it's just lacking any depth whatsoever. So I don't care much about it. Street Profits win if the match happens. Yeah, Street Profits feuds have really lacked depth since their Viking Raiders, you know, skit stuff. And as much as, you know, as much as you didn't like it, I said at the time was... They're building character. There is character growth going on here and real like, you know, feelings being developed through watching this. We haven't gotten that with Street Profits in a while. They just keep having matches. They just keep winning. And the opponents they're having are are no good. And kind of like an Oscar situation, they haven't had somebody who feels like a worthy challenger yet. Uh, I, I think Street Profits win this easily. But going going to that DQ on SmackDown, I do have to give a shout out to the referee, she made it very clear mm-hmm. that she was starting to count 
that you have to get out of the ring. And she, I don't know if it was to five or whatever it was, but it, I could, I, I saw her and heard her starting to count. And I was like, oh, this is where it's going because this is the rules. And yeah, it, I was annoyed at how that's how they finished, but it didn't feel like the referee was just like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. Just ring the bell. It, it, it was very clearly executed. So props to that referee. I don't, I don't know her name for, for doing that uh, properly. I, I agree with that hundred percent. It, if you're going to have a DQ, make it clear why it is a DQ. And at least this was different than the tag team partner hit some hit them with a chair outside the ring, so they called it a DQ. You know, or pulled someone out when they weren't legal or whatever. So yes, there was reasoning behind it, and I do give credit for that. But WWE gives us so many disqualifications mm-hmm. that it's just like, oh my God, another disqualification in a title match that didn't even need to happen on a TV show. And, and that was really the large, largely disappointing part for me. Okay, let's move on to the tri-main event, the trio of main event Hell in a Cell matches that we have. Triple main event is really the word I was looking for, why I said try. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Uh, but the triple main event, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey against Sasha Banks inside Hell in a Cell. Now this, of course, um, I think picked up into a different gear. SmackDown Friday night, where Bailey and Sasha Banks had the contract signing. This was a nice bounce back from the last few weeks where this feud was kind of taking a nosedive. First off, from the moment that Sasha Banks' music hit. That's the most action I've had all year. I was personally shook. As for the segment goes, I felt the intensity of this feud pick up as I said. Banks cut a really strong promo, breaking down her actual problems with Bailey. Bailey shot back at her, and then we got a little cliffhanger with Bailey refusing to sign the contract, but Banks promising she would make her sign before their match. The only thing missing out of this entire segment was that Banks didn't sign with her legit boss stamp that mm. she used for the Asuka match that she used all the time in NXT. That was an egregious mistake on WWE's part because that's continuity and she should sign every contract with that stamp. It's also just kind of cool that she does that. It's unique to her. Other than that, this largely picked up all of the faults we were talking about over the last few weeks. There was no interaction face-to-face. There was a lacking storyline in terms of why Bailey attacked her and why Banks was extra upset beyond just normally being upset that her friend turned her back on her. This sold the feud to me where a lot of contract signings really don't. So they deserve two thumbs up here. And I am now once again, fully energized, not only for this match, but for what they're going to do Friday night on the Go Home Show. Yeah, I, I liked Sasha. I like when they try to bring in realish type of stuff. Sasha mentioning how she was the one who called Bailey when Bailey was the only one who wasn't called up from, from NXT uh, among the four horsewomen, how they were there for each other. And she, I think, correctly ignored the time that she turned on Bailey. <laughs> during their last feud, but it was good to bring in some of that blur those lines a little bit about their real friendship. So uh, really well done. We'll have to see what happens this Friday going into the match still, but um, are we making picks for the match? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately we don't have another scheduled show as of right now before Hell in a Cell. Now, Chris, you know, I don't know what your time is like. We, We were both very busy on Saturday, but if something drastic happens Friday night, maybe we can come on and do like a 20 minute recap of a last minute ultimate preview for Hell in a Cell. But as of right now, this is going to stand as our picks and predictions. So 
yeah, go ahead. Who do you think is going to win? Sasha Banks and Bailey. I think Sasha wins. I don't feel confident about it, but that's my pick. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, you know, initially I thought they might be able to hold this feud off until WrestleMania. Right now, it doesn't seem like that is going to be the case. I think what they should probably do is have Sasha Banks win the title here. Survivor Series is the next pay-per-view. You have Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai versus Asuka. And my head explodes when I watch that match. That also delays Bailey's rematch because you know she's going to want one. She gets that rematch at uh, the next pay-per-view, whatever it is in December. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be called, although I'm sure it's already named. But that pushes off the rematch. She gets it. And she talks about the fact that Banks has never successfully defended her title. Right. That gives us an entire storyline to get to December. Banks successfully defends her title at that pay-per-view. And then I don't know what they do from there or if they, that's the end, maybe. But I don't see a way that Sasha Banks can go into another Hell in a Cell match against another horsewoman and lose because she would then be 0-3. And last year, the match she had with Becky Lynch, I'd have to really rack my brain, may have been the best women's match of the year. And I would like to see that repeated, but this time Sasha Banks come out on top. Yeah, it's weird because Hell in a Cell usually ends a feud. You know, we're, we're kind of thinking the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, and Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton may be ended or at least is going to change a bit with the Hell in a Cell match. This is, I, I like, I think there's a chance that Sasha wins here and then they don't pick this back up for a while uh, because we were surprised that they didn't split them up and drag it on. They may just be trying to get to the end point here. Um, so, I don't know, but I'm picking Sasha. I'm with you on that for sure. Now, we'll go to the WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton, which I really think should main event, but we do know that the Roman Reigns Jey Uso feud, considering it just main evented a show, is probably going to main event again. So we'll go with McIntyre Orton next. So basically, Monday Night on Raw, they just sold the main event. That was all they did. They used it as a true go-home show. It was the only thing on Raw that actually sold the pay-per-view or tried to sell the pay-per-view. Awesome stuff from McIntyre grabbing the microphone from Chuck backstage, tearing down Orton. It felt completely genuine from him as a promo, and he definitely did the part in selling that he may not have experience in Hell in a Cell, but it doesn't necessarily matter considering how motivated he is to take out Orton. Orton then grabs the mic, opens up a chair, and cuts a promo in the middle of the cell. That was great. I was actually upset that McIntyre interrupted him because I was like so enthralled with Orton's promo. I wanted to hear more. I wanted to hear how he was going to finish it. I felt like Orton was just getting into second gear when McIntyre interrupted him. So then McIntyre comes down, Orton's locked in the cell. McIntyre happens to have bolt cutters at ringside. I'm okay with that. He's a face. They book him smart as we've discussed before. He breaks into the cell and they cut Raw off and they take it off the air right as the cell door opens. Now that is meant to be a cliffhanger. It's meant to sell us on the pay-per-view. If you want to see Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton fight inside Hell in a Cell, you're going to have to tune in Sunday. But they didn't say that on commentary. I, hop I hopped over to Raw Talk just in case they continued it, which they've done before on WWE. They've If there's been a cliffhanger and you go to the WWE Network, 
they will air the last five or 10 minutes of it on Raw Talk and get you into that program. But they didn't do that. I don't know why they didn't either do that or at the end of Raw have McIntyre open the door, slide into the ring, Orton throws the chair at him, runs out of the ring and dodges him. And now they're laughing at, you know, Orton's laughing at him as the show goes off the air. It wasn't even a cliffhanger. It was a total letdown by having that door open and nothing happened. So maybe I'm just pissed and the cliffhanger worked on me, but I don't think it did. I just think I legitimately didn't like how they finished Raw on Monday night. So I liked the cliffhanger. I didn't, the promo, the Orton promo was fine. It was good. It was whatever. I'm just, I'm generally not interested in this feud anymore. It's them fighting each other over and over and over. And now we're going to see them fight each other. So I, I don't know. I'm not super excited for the match. But I actually, I did like the cliffhanger. The problem was exactly what you said. You have to, in this day and age, you have to pay it off. In, in the old, in the, you know, in the, in the late 90s, you could just, you could wait till SmackDown later in that week to do a clip or you would start the pay-per-view with, here's what happened when we went off the air. We ran out of time. Tony Schiavone saying, we're out of time. We got to go. Right. Like right. That, 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 like, I like that idea. The problem is when you have raw talk, when you have YouTube, when you have all these things, you, you kind of can't hide things anymore. There's um, no excuse at this point. Yeah. So like maybe, you know, maybe have him go in there and then retribution like turns the lights off and say, we didn't see what happened. I, I don't know, but they should have acknowledged it. You, you can't really get around it at this point, but uh, you know what? You're right. That's another situation where they could have used retribution hacking in. Yeah. So I, I liked the idea. I actually liked the cliffhanger. It's just kind of hard to ignore the context of everything else in our current media world. Exactly. Right. This would have worked like 20 years ago, maybe. But again, they didn't even sell, like, even if they did back in the day, like you said, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, folks, we're running out of time. You're going to have to check out the, they didn't even do that. Tom Phillips didn't even do that. So at least do that. But it just, it didn't feel like, it just felt like, oh, wow, we're going to see this. Oh, wait, Raw's going off the air? Oh, okay, the show's over. We didn't even get that hyped up announcement. So it was just a failure, despite, despite the, McIntyre promo and the Orton promo and the face-to-face all being good. Those final five seconds of Raw, to me, were a failure. But we got to pick this match here. And look, I think my mind has been changed a little bit where I do think that Drew McIntyre retaining here is a legitimate possibility, especially considering they already had McIntyre beat Orton, which toned down the fire streak that he had been on as the legend killer and really ever since WrestleMania. But I have to stay true to myself. And I have been predicting for months now that Randy Orton would beat Drew McIntyre and win the WWE Championship. And considering it's now at Hell in a Cell, and they already had McIntyre get over Orton at Clash of Champions, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to say Randy Orton walks out of the show as the new WWE Champion for his 14th title reign in the company. I mean, we've we've been thinking that every show that Randy Orton's going to finally win the win, and then we go from there. I I don't know. I I, I want this. I I don't really care for this feud anymore. I want it to end. In that case, I, I guess I want McIntyre to win again, and then it goes on. Or I I, I don't know. I guess I'm rooting for McIntyre because I want to see something different. What do I think is going to happen? I think Orton gets the win. I think we keep doing this. 
because Orton, Orton has done too good of a job all year to not get the title in a situation like this. But man, this should have happened two pay-per-views ago. And he has really lost. He He's done the best he can. He, I think Orton, Randy Orton's still doing really good work. But man, he has lost a lot of that heat that he had coming out of the edge. Uh, the edge situation. So well, I, th- I think he largely lost that heat by losing a clash of champions. Right, right. It's not on him. It, 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 it's it's on him continuing to lose these title matches and to lose in an embarrassing fashion at clash of, clash of champions to have everybody gang up on him. And then, and then drew kind of put salt in the wound uh, by toying with him at the end. Um, yeah, no, Ray, Randy's done good. It's not his fault. I, I, I think the way he's been booked, the last couple months has not helped, but and I this think, is part I, I, and I this think, is part by but, the way of our this is yeah. part by the way of the issues with RAW. I'm sorry, I'm very sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you. no, you're good. But but I just wanted to I wanted to make sure I didn't forget this. This is part of why RAW has been rough. It's not just because the surrounding pieces have been rough, but the main event storyline was so good, mm-hmm. it was great, and now it's mediocre. So when that comes down, everything surrounding it gets looked at in a different context as well, and they just I mean setting up. A ambulance match, given those circumstances, if they didn't have all the other legends pop in, it was the perfect situation for Orton to beat McIntyre for the title. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to do it now, it might work. But now you will have Orton beat McIntyre in Hell in a Cell. And it's like, where does McIntyre go from here if he loses? That's the one reason why I think McIntyre retaining is a legitimate possibility. Mm-hmm. Because where the hell does he go if he loses? Orton yep. can figure out another feud. They can make something work. Yep. McIntyre, I don't know what else he has, but I'm just not going to change. I'm going to stick to myself, stay true to myself, and go with Orton winning. But if if I had not predicted that previously, maybe I would be leaning toward McIntyre. Yeah, I I, I think Orton wins. I, I well, I don't know. Like, are are they really going to keep building Orton Orton up and up and up just to keep? trying to transfer that to to Drew McIntyre. I I guess. I, I don't know. Is it going to be McIntyre fiend after this? I hope not. I, I don't really know where anybody goes. That's why all of these feuds have gone on for so long that I, I think I think it just continues and I think Orton wins. The other thing to look at, by the way, is are you really going to have Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns at Survivor Series? And are they going to do brand versus brand? with Finn Balor being the third person potentially in that match. I don't even think Finn Balor will be able to wrestle by November. Right. So I don't know what the plans are for Survivor Series, but it would make more sense for Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, because Orton taking a loss to Reigns is totally legitimate. And then maybe McIntyre wins the title back at Royal Rumble, which keeps him out of the Royal Rumble and it gives him a, a nice short reign. And then he gets a heel challenger for WrestleMania. I could see that happening. So look, we have more, we have more to do. One more match to talk about, but I think we're both sticking with Randy Orton and Sasha Banks winning the titles so far in the two matches that actually matter and our main expected main event, the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Jey Uso, not just inside Hell in a Cell, but in an I Quit match. So we already talked about the main event of SmackDown, but this is what happened after that match when Roman Reigns beat Braun Strowman. So Jey Uso comes out after the match, Reigns spears Strowman, grabs a chair, told Jay that he needed to be the dominant one at the head of the table, him being Reigns, and then beat Strowman to death with the chair to set an example for Jay. Reigns kept telling Jay to grab the chair, uh, kept talking to him, saying he loved him, and that Jay 
should not be trying to take his place, but that he'd give him a chance. So, you know, Jay had an opportunity. He could have beat Strowman and aligned with Reigns or hit Reigns on the back with the chair, and he chose neither. Reigns turned his back. Jay picked up the chair, threw it down, but then punched and super kicked Reigns and beat him with the chair anyway while screaming that he loved him too. Officials pulled Jay off. Reigns came back at him with the Superman punch. And then you could see that Reigns came to the realization that he has to take Jay out at Hell in a Cell completely and totally. This was very strong storyline-wise for Reigns and Jay Uso and only further developed the storyline that they had already told us at Clash of Champions and they've continued to tell us on SmackDown. Jay Uso did an interview recently, I think this week, where he said, or last week maybe, where he said that this was only supposed to be a one pay-per-view match, storyline feud. They were not supposed to go beyond it, but it was so hot and went over so well that they continued it. And a lot of times when they do that, the second version, the continuation gets you know drowned out a little bit. It gets watered down. That has not been the case here. They're keeping this hot. This worked extremely well. And I am 100% excited for this match. Yeah, this is without a doubt the best thing going has been for two months now. Very excited for this match. My pick, my pick is Roman in this match, but it does, it doesn't even that doesn't even matter. Like when wrestling is good, it's just you just want to see it happen, even if you know it's going to happen. You knew Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to win those matches, but you wanted to see Stone Cold Steve Austin. I just want to see how this plays out. I, I I'm really excited for it, and, and and Jay has been doing the kind of work where. You know, if he didn't have a twin brother, he like he's the guy who you could see in a main event feud. Otherwise, like he's showing that ability. And it's it, it's taking me back to when the Usos were doing their Uso penitentiary period. Mm-hmm. They were at they were them and New Day like week in and week out were like the best thing going on at WWE in the time. They, they are such good talents, especially Jay. I, I, I think it's hard to I don't know what Jay's future is going to be. When, when Jimmy's good to go, it's kind of hard to have twins and them not be a tag team. But I, I, I think this opens up the possibility where you could just have a, a guy in a tag team like like we saw with Kofi Kingston and Raw who just has singles matches and can be a singles character as well. Um, and I, I hope Jay gets more opportunities whenever this feud ends because he is more than carrying his own side of this. Uh, Rome is doing a great job, but Jay is doing just as good of a job. That's that's a little tough for me because I, I do agree that Jay is doing a great job and I would like to see, see him in a singles role. And if they wanted to hotshot the title off Sami Zayn to another heel, I think Jay would make a really good transitional intercontinental champion. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't know where you go with Jay because once he quits in this match, and we'll talk about, I mean, look, we both, I, I'll speak for you. We both predict Roman Reigns is going to beat Jay Uso in an I quit match and keep his title. There's no way that Jey Uso is going to win the uh, Universal Championship, and he's certainly not going to make Roman Reigns say I quit, given this scenario and given the booking. So once he quits, what is there then for him to do? Reigns talked about it being an I quit match, but maybe even having it, making it have greater connotation long-term from seemingly a storyline perspective. If he quits, is he not just quitting the match, but quitting WWE? If so, do we go back to what I talked about a few weeks ago where Reigns reaches his hand out in Olive Branch and brings him back in kind of as his stablemate, you know, in the bloodline with Heyman and and they do this whole thing. So when Jimmy comes back, he has no choice but to kind of 
all join together? Do they maybe save that for when there's a face challenger to Reigns who is a true threat to take away his title? And on SmackDown, who the hell would that even be at this point? So I just don't know long-term or even short-term if Jey Uso has a lot of singles might in him. Because if he loses his match and they don't keep him with Reigns somehow, then what kind of guy is he going to be where he just lost twice to Reigns and quit? You're right. going to have to go beat the Intercontinental Champion? I mean, maybe, but I just, right. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. know that he has that long of a leash as a singles mm-hmm. But booking wise, you need to figure it out. But I think he has shown the ability. We know he's re- we know he's a good promo. We saw that as a tag team. We've seen it now as a singles person. We know he can work in the ring pretty well. I think he has the tools to to be a very good singles star. Um, it would you, right. You have to book around it, figure it out. I just think he has shown the ability that it's not like he has some major fault here that's going to hold him back from doing something. I think he can I think he can do a lot of different things. No, I think that's fair, Chris. I mean, I like Jay Uso. I like the Usos. I like Roman Reigns. There's no question this storyline is great. I just do wonder where is Roman gonna go now that this is over? Where is Jay Uso gonna go? Is he maybe going to be out of action until Jimmy's healthy and they return as a tag team? So there's a lot of questions left unanswered, and that's good, really, heading into a pay-per-view, because I wanna know not just how this match ends. But what kind of storyline are they setting up going forward? Does Roman Reigns' character continue developing and changing even more as a heel? Maybe even a little bit more sadistic than he's already been. All questions that we will answer for you on this podcast. Just not this particular episode. Instead, we will do that on our WWE Hell in a Cell instant analysis, which will come to you Sunday night as soon as the pay-per-view is off the air. Between now and then, do not forget, we will be back Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW. NXT with the equivalent of a go-home show, I guess, ahead of Halloween Havoc next week. AEW still developing some storylines. We're definitely interested in that steak dinner between Chris Jericho and MJF. How about next week, you and I meet up one-on-one for a steak dinner? You guys can meet up on this show Thursday for a steak dinner when we break down NXT and AEW, but definitely Sunday for our Hell in a Cell instant analysis where Chris will join the Silver King. Vintage Chris Vanini will join the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for a steak dinner, hopefully, after Hell in a Cell. I think WWE Chris has given us three straight really high B, low A pay-per-views in a row. We're going to try to make it four on Sunday, aren't we? We are. We're just going to need to see if this is really a four-match card or if we get a little bit more. We will see that coming up in a few days. For now, we bid you adieu. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And be a mark for this show. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. The show did go longer than expected. Macho Man, he's going to stay in catering. For now, it's the Silver King with three words left for you. Bye for now.